Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape. <laughs> do we not? Do we not get that? I thought was that not the hand signal? Yeah, we're oh, on. We're Jesus. recording. All right. Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape. <laughs> it's one of those days where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and I do not look good in pastels, despite the fact that it was I'm like you are wearing a wearing pink, blush pink very sweater, pink, very pink right now, and white glasses. White's not a pastel. It it no, it's it, a neutral. Okay. Okay. Well, I would consider it a, that yeah, creamy wrong. white that you're wearing it's, is a pastel. It's bone white. Anywho, ha. Huh? And I'm Jules, and I love springing forward. That's great. <laughs> so, in case you haven't noticed, this episode we are celebrating ce- this episode. Ce- yep, you know wow. what? Yep, it's been a day. Wow. We are celebrating the start of spring, the spring equinox, daylight savings, warmer weather, Easter eggs, bunnies, and rainbows, and all that cheerful bullshit. But before we get into the spring sipper that we have selected for this episode, let's kick off with our recurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. Jules, what are you cheersing and jeersing? I'm cheersing to daylight savings. I love this time of year because we get like one extra minute of daylight every day. And legitimately, yesterday, I was like, how is it still light out? It's 545. I've been living in darkness Instead of it being dark by 4 p.m. So I really, this, this part of the year is my favorite. And then the alternative is my least favorite when it starts to get a little bit darker earlier every day. Is like, see, this is like, yay! I feel like I feel like I'm ready. I'm ready for more sunlight. Um, but come the fall, I'll be like, nope, shroud me in darkness. She ready? She ready to hide? Oh, I'm never. No, never. Mm -mm. Nope, absolutely not. Where are you jersing? Oh, fucking airline travel. Well, it's everyone's favorite. <laughs> I haven't been on an airplane in a while, and I recently had to fly. Not had to. That sounds stupid. I chose to because I went on a trip to Sedona, Arizona. So you're saying you have no one to blame but yourself. Yeah, no one to blame but myself. And I <laughs> could have it. driven the seven hours, but I chose to take the 45-minute flight to Phoenix and was then it, drive a couple of hours. Was it worth it? How'd that go? But um, I just fucking hate people. Yeah, I hate I mean, people. In airports, and especially the Southwest Terminal in San Diego, is the absolute worst. It's the armpit. You well, know what? It's Southwest the butthole of airline terminals. It's gross. And there's just too many people, and nobody's wearing a mask anymore, and they're gross, and I hate it. It is a Petri dish. It's disgusting. Let's move on to better things. What are you cheersing to? Uh, so, as our listeners may know... I have just returned from Barcelona. So cheers to you, Barcelona. I love you. I miss you. I'm already plotting my return. I don't want to get emotional, so I'm going to leave it at that. What are you jeersing? I hate it here. (laughs) (laughs) Just not on my game. I hate it here. Also, fuck teams meetings. Like, just, I hate it. See, I'm not on Teams. Rob oh. uses Teams. Hot Rob uses Teams. I still use Zoom from with my I mean, clients. That's like listen, what we use. If we use Zoom at or Google work, Meet, the Google Meets are pretty good, actually. No, it doesn't matter. Just fuck it's all any of that them. kind. It's I that genre. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I don't want to work. That's what I'm well, saying. Okay. I don't want to work. We need to start playing the lottery. <laughs> Clearly, someone send us some scratchers. Or a million dollars. Uh, Michelle sent me scratchers for St. Patrick's Day. Very cute. And I didn't win anything, but she sent me two scratchers and that was really sweet. That's nice, but no pot of gold, huh? Nope. Cheers to that. 
So there you have it. Your spring fling. Cheers, cheers and cheers. So in honor of the Gruner Veltliner that we're drinking today and its Austrian heritage, we are coming up with our own version of an Austrian classic for our Not an Australian classic? No, not an Australian. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) You know what? She writes late. She writes late. But I got her notes say Australian. She said Austrian. But I said the correct thing. You're all welcome. Uh, So we are covering... Our cover. Own, We're doing our own cover. Our own version of favorite things from The Sound of Music. And if you haven't watched The Sound of Music, watch it. It's a classic. It's so good. Very entertaining. And it it's is based see. on the 1949 memoir, The Story of the Trap Family Singers by Maria Von Trapp. So it's not Von Trapp Family Singers, it's Trap. It's Trap Family Singers. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, that's that's... According to Wikipedia, that's what it says. But also, you said Australian instead of Austrian, so I'm yeah, now I'm questioning. Well, your, I mean, now I'm questioning your really, research. Really, we've been doing this for almost a season, and you are barely questioning my judgment. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's on you. It's true. So the stage musical was produced in 1959, and the film adaptation directed by Robert Weiss and starring the incomparable Julie Andrews was released in 1965. One of the most unforgettable parts of the film, of course, is the soundtrack. The Sound of Music soundtrack was released alongside the film in 1965, and it's one of the most successful soundtrack albums in history, having sold more than 20 million copies worldwide. When it was released in the United States, it reached number one on the Billboard Top 100 and remained in the top 10 for a record 109 weeks at the time. Wait, Billboard Top 200. Oh, sure. Okay, 100, 200. It was number one. What fucking difference does it make? It's fine. It's fine. Don't make me do this when we've had a lot of wine. Oh, Hot Rob has something to say about that. No, he doesn't. So perhaps the most famous song is the upbeat tune, My Favorite Thing, sung by Julie Andrews. In 2004, the American Film Institute placed the song at number 64 in its top 100 film songs of all time, which I think, frankly, is a little low, but whatever. In honor of this tale and the song, we've decided to write our own wine-inspired version of My Favorite Things. With a little help from the online generator, wordblanks.com, but even still, this was not easy. <laughs> we had to come up with 31 nouns, five verbs, 18 adjectives, and just some other rando fucking words. So here we are. And I also have a fun fact from The Silver Fox. No, no. Absolutely not. The movie was filmed in 70 millimeter Super Panovision 70. 70. I don't know what that means, but for all you fucking film nerds out there, you probably know what it means, but I like it that he passed it to me, written on a flamingo napkin, because we're all having dinner together, and the boys have been told to shut the fuck up, so he wrote and it yet down. And they can't. He, but he wrote it down on a napkin. I love it. Hot Rob. 
Hop Rob is miming things right now. Rob, <laughs> is, they are literally bouncing out of their chairs. Rob, do you have something to say? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, here is the final result. You're fucking welcome. And we're sorry. <laughs> are we? <laughs> yes, we're sorry. Two girls and a grape record my favorite things from The Sound of Music. Tell me one of those. <laughs> <laughs> we were recording you, asshole! you! Grape and Peanut Gallery Company, the Silver Fox and Hot Rob, record my favorite things from The Sound of Music. Wine glasses on reds and whites on rosés, dry sweet bottles in the club and fresh cases, bright acidic vines tied up with flowers. These are a shit ton of bubbly bubbles, bold velvety legs and cloudy tannics, barrels and casks and sommeliers, wild pairings that pound the hillsides. These are a few of my wino things. Grapes and winemakers with herbaceous bodies, popping corks, and listening to podcast hotties. Silver fox, salty meats, drinking with hot Robin his beats. These are a fuck ton of my floral rose. When this bitch sips. When the label talks, when I'm drinking a lot happily, I simply remember my subtle fuck, and then I don't feel so pretty. So there's a reason we talk and not sing. <laughs> but, dear listener, if you're still with dear us. Dear reader, and Renee, you, Seth, Lauren, anyone. Lauren, Rob, if, Silver Fox. If you've made Rose, it. Andy. You're still here. You still Kendra. love us. Because they like us. They really like us. They uh, really, really like us. Here's the good They have shit. to to listen to that fucking bullshit. I mean, that just this is true. But come on. That was pretty epic. <laughs> I mean, that goes down as something. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go with epic. I'm gonna try and stay positive. We're we're on the up and up. Um, so this might be the most epic Schweinigans, very possibly ever, very possibly. But um, we've got more to come. So let's get into this wine. Let's do it. It's got to be better than that fucking bullshit that just happened. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We sang. It wasn't good. It was fine. Lisi. <sighs> Oh, Rob. Hot Rob. That was excellent. Thank you. See, we do have fans. Silver Fox. Silver Fox are not meant to do anything. Oh, Silver Fox. It was good. It was good. He's over there on nonchalant. His deep baritone voice. Mm -hmm. It was good. It was good. You know, he's just waiting to come back on the podcast, though. That's what he's... he's, Okay. Well, there you have it. That's your your blooper reel for this episode, everyone. All the fans have been pining for his voice. 
Not yours. That's the rumor. Oh, nobody wants me. <laughs> nobody wants me. Apparently, no one's going to want ours either. No, they're definitely not. <laughs> Signing off. Two girls in a grape. For Bottle 52, we have selected the 2020 Gruner Veltliner by the Muller Family Vineyard in Kremstal, Austria. Price point for this wine is around $20, although we're seeing some conflicting prices online, but we're just going to go with a nice round $2020. ABV on this is 12%, which is a perfect, I think, kind of, amount of alcohol for a nice sunny day like early in the day sipping on some wine etc and the um the gruner veltliner is an ancestral austrian grape that we feel is really perfect for a spring wine that transition from spring into summer or winter into spring i guess too yeah absolutely um I really love this grape. This is one of those. She loves it, everyone. She really, really loves it. Do you I do. really, really love me? I love it so much. Um, this is one of those. This was one of like my gateway whites. One of the first white wines that I really learned to love and appreciate because I used to be just a a red drinker. Um, but there's something about a Gruner. I just think it's balanced and it does really taste like spring in a glass. So. Gruner is going to be a dry white wine. It grows mostly in Austria, although it's now produced in Hungary, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, and the United States and Canada. So it's getting around the globe. It's international. It's international. She's an international lady. It's a globe trotter. Uh, it is known for its flavor notes of green pepper and lime and is a really nice combo for, for your spring sipping here. The name Gruner Veltliner translates to green wine of the Velten, which refers to an area in the Lower Alps that was called the Veltland during the 1600s and is now part of Veltlina, Italy. Although it, the grape itself is considered to be an indigenous to Austria. By the 1950s, Gruner Veltliner was Austria's most planted varietal, and that really is the, the heritage grape that they're known for. So, of course, Austria produces, you know, a whole plethora of different wines, whites and reds, but Gruner Veltliner is really its most recognizable varietal that you're going to see, and also the one you're going to see most highly distributed in places like the United States. Um, the grapes of a Gruner Veltliner tend to grow in long, compact bunches with deep green grapes that ripen late in the season. So think October instead of late July. I mean, this also has to do with the climate in Austria as well and a little bit of a cooler climate. That's one of the reasons why these grapes tend to do well in the northern United States. So, you know, if you think California, think like Mendocino. But more than that, you're looking at places like Washington State, um, the Finger Lakes, Michigan, and then, of course, up in Canada. Uh, although it'll be interesting to see how that changes with climate change, right? Thank you. And as harvest seasons are getting pushed up earlier and earlier. But um, in some ways for Gruner, climate change may be a slight blessing in disguise. And I say that because due to its long growing season, the grape is very susceptible to viticultural hazards like mildew and rust mites. Bunch of fuckers, man. 
And because of this, in Austria, growers use the Lens the Lens Moser style, which was developed in the 1920s. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but just to remind everyone, this is a way of training the vines so that the trunks grow high to reduce vine density through the planting. And then what they also do is they space the rows of the vines so that they're at least 11 and a half feet or over three meters apart. That's a lot of space between vines. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've ever driven through wine country, like in California. That's like three Dreas. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> she snack size, everyone. <laughs> but if you, you know, vines tend to be pretty compact mm-hmm. in rows. And so this is to allow lots of airflow to pass through the vines and the individual bunches so that you avoid things like mildew. Um, and it is kind of worth the hassle to me, though. So it's a finicky grape, but... What, to you, because you just drink it. You don't have to, like, manage it. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm just here talking <laughs> a bunch it. of shit. So it's, it's worth it to me. Yes, I always do. Yep, that's right. Thank you. I appreciate all of you who are doing who are doing the hard work. Um, so what, yield, what the yield is, is a wine that has primary fruit flavors of lime, lemon, grapefruit. All of our favorite things. All of our favorite things. But also a nice background of green and herbaceous flavor that's often described Drea's as favorite white things. pepper. Yep. I love this shit. However, what makes Gruner Veltliner wine so unique is its signature vein of acidity. And a lot of um, wine critics talk about the acid punch in a Gruner as like something that explodes in your mouth, almost like pop rocks. So it gives you kind of that tingly effervescence on the tongue. I'm going to keep my rude comments to myself. I'm sure you're not going to, but that's okay. That's why you're here. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, as Jules would say, we'll be the judge of that when we open up this bottle. Um, most Austrian Gruner that's imported to the United States are in this type of style. And the bottles, if you're out looking at your local bodega, are usually dark green. And the wine itself is a very light, pale, yellowish green. Um, you should plan on drinking this type of Gruner when it's fairly young. It's, it's produced so that it can be drunk right away after harvest and bottling we like that we do like that and you definitely want to consume it within one to two years of the vintage um you may see some tiny little bubbles in it that there's nothing wrong with your wine it's just a natural process from the fermentation and yeah so it's a good thing we're drinking this one it is a very good 2020 so oh Oh, we're we're on the high end. I got two more bottles sitting out there, too. I guess, so guess we're going to drink a lot. All lot. right. So uh, before we drink a lot, though, Jules, why don't you <laughs> lay down some fun facts for us? Sure. Uh, fun facts with Jules about the Gruner Veltliner wine that we are about to drink, but also just generally speaking. Uh, the current name uh, Gruner Veltliner appeared in a document for the first time in 1855. Before that time, it was known as Weifschkipflicker. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. How does it feel to be on the receiving end of that? That's and in right. Ni- in the 1930s, Brunner Veltliner was established as a standard name of the grape. Thank the Buddha. Because <laughs> why should get, get Fleur is not rolling off the tongue easily, even for someone like myself that is pretty good linguistically. I really anyway. hope we don't have any Austrian fans. And if we do, please... Please send us like a fucking audio message and let us know how to pronounce <laughs> wipes get flicker. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the parent variety to Gruner Veltliner is called St. Georginer Rebbe. And in February of 2011, the single surviving vine of this variety. Um, which is thought to be over 500 years old, was vandalized and severely cut in several places by an unknown assailant. That motherfucker. You know what? That's the Dateline episode I want to fucking that see. That is definitely a Dateline episode. I want, that's a true crime podcast I will follow. But the vine survived with the Austrian government designating the vine as a protected natural monument. I love that. I do love that. The family-run winery, the Muller Winery, is located in the southern part of the Kremstal wine region in the picturesque village of Krustetten. I like that. Very Krustetten. Nice. Krustetten. It is managed by brothers Leopold and Stefan, or Stefan, Stef- I'm going to say Stefan. I say Stefan. That sounds Muller. more Euro. And the responsibilities are very clearly structured. Stefan is the vineyard manager and Leopold is the winemaker and sales manager. Also, and final fun fact of the day is that Muller is the fifth most common surname in Austria, but it's the most common surname in Germany. Interesting. There you go. There you go. There you have it. Thanks for those fun facts. All right. So let's talk, now that we know a little bit more about the varietal, let's talk about the region itself. Um... So we're going to talk a little bit about Austria and then, of course, Kremstal, where Miller is actually from. So the archaeological evidence of grape growing in the area that is now Austria dates as far back as 4,000 years ago. And grape seeds have been found in urns dating from 700 BCE. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Of course, viticultural practices thrived under the Romans. We, of course. Right? Mm-hmm. We love them. Hence colonialism. And Gruner appears to have been grown... Uh, around this area since Roman times. Viticultural practices did suffer with the invasion of the barbarians, Slavs, and Avars um, after the fall of the Roman Empire. But from 788, the rule of Charlemagne saw considerable reconstruction of vineyards and the introduction of new great presses. Following his reign, Austrian viticulture was nurtured by the church, so... Um, again, you've now have translated from the Roman Empire to the Holy Roman Empire and birth of Catholicism, right? And so there's a renewed interest in wine grown by and for the church. Uh, it also encouraged local communities to produce wine for both private and commercial consumption to fuel the need. The first vineyard names recorded are Crimser. Sun Group in 1208 and Steiner Fluffenberg in 1230. <laughs> Fluffenberg. Fluffenberg. In, in addition, Rudolph IV introduced the first wine tax. 
fucker. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Rob. In 1359, as Vienna established itself as a center for wine trading in the region. So wine has been a business in this area for a really long time. Wine has been a business, period, Yeah, for a very long time. <laughs> yep. Um, so the wine business really boomed in Austria in the 16th century, but the Thirty Years' Wars and others of the 17th century took their toll as much due to the heavy taxation of the period and the direct disruption of war. An imperial decree of the 17th of August in 1784 gave birth to the distinctive Austrian tradition of inns called Herrigan. Herrigan? Herrigan. Hootigan. Hootigan? No. Hooligan. 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 You damn hooligan. Listen, we need to start picking wines that don't have just very Wines from America? American wines. Derived from the German for new wine, the decree allowed all winemakers to sell homegrown food with their wine all year long. So Wait, this was like the pandemic. Yeah. Kind and of restaurants could only sell booze if you got some sort of food to go with it. Right, like a dollar bag what of shit. Fucking Puritan bullshit is that? That's well, so stupid. You anyway. know, here we are. I we digress. can thank our ancestors. I digress. <laughs> the nineteenth century, let's fast forward a bit, saw the arrival of all sorts of biological threats to the vineyards. So. Shocking. I know. Including People. mildews, which continue to plague these vines. Yep. And of course, the epic phylloxera. For Austria. This was a little bit of a blessing in disguise, though, because although it took several decades for the wine industry there to recover, it allowed lower quality grapes that had been primarily what was being grown at the time to be replaced by better varietals, and in particular, our new friend, Gruner Veltliner. In fact, after World War I, Austria was the third largest producer of wine in the world. Wow. Yeah. Um, by the 20th... That should have been a fun fact. <laughs> fun fact. Gotta save some of the good shit for myself. By the, it can't just all be colonialism and Romans, Jewel. Dorian, like, <laughs> she takes all the serious stuff. I take the fun stuff. <laughs> but the, by the 20th century, the Austrian wine industry was a high-volume, highly industrialized business machine that was really focused on quantity over quality. Um, so they went a little, like, overboard right and to help rectify this and reclaim their winemaking heritage the austrian wine marketing board was created in 1986 which if you think about it is is fairly recently right they haven't really done a great job what i mean the marketing board has not done a great job says the marketer in addition austria's membership in the european union also spurred further national wine laws and a new dac system and that's their like domain system or their AVA system in Austria um, of growing regions that was launched in 2002. So again, you know, a system that's really only 20, 20 years old. Yeah. 20 mm -hmm. some years old. Right. But in a region that's been making wine since the fucking 1200s. Get it I together. I mean, even before then, you know, get it together. stuff is just, you know, it's on the DL. Get it together. All right, so now that you know about Austria and its history of winemaking, let's talk just a little bit about Kremstal itself. Um, so the wine that we're drinking today is from the Kremstal DAC, and Kremstal is centered near the town of Krem, downstream from the Wachu River. The climate there tends to be warmer, 
because of the shape of the valley, which allows for red wines to be produced in this region as well, which for, for Austria is a really big deal. Since 2007, when the Kremstall DAC was established, the area has been synonymous with spicy, elegant, and mineral-forward wines, which we all know I love. Um, the wines from this region also range from fresh light wines to dense and velvety reserved aged white wines. And again, that's because you're seeing slightly higher temperatures in this valley area than you are across the rest of the DACs in Austria. So um, I feel like this Gruner is going to be a little bit unique because of where it's grown, and I'm super excited to try it. Oh, better live up to the hype. <laughs> 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 All right, so let's. So, despite Jules's enthusiasm to get into this bottle, um, let's. Talk, I am enthusiastic. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the winemaker and the winery itself. So, the Mueller uh, is the is a family winery that is located in the Southern Kremstall area near. What what was it? What's the village? The village of Krustetten. Krustetten, right. There we go. Um, the vineyards are in the hills surrounding the Goatwig Abbey and upstream of the Danu Dan 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 Danube, Danube Valley. Danube Valley and the Rochu River. So they're okay, let's just think about this for a minute, right? Vines are growing on the slope of this valley. You've got some river stuff going on. And the reason I bring this up is because, like, the microclimates then that are then going to exist in this area, right? So you've got um, all that moisture coming up from the river. You've got some sun. You've got the valley. It seems like an ideal location to grow wine to me. Uh, the family has been operating the winery for three generations, which has really allowed them to fine-tune their craft. And as Jules noted earlier now, two of the brothers kind of oversee the operations and the business. The, but the family themselves started um, their own viticultural journey in the town of Crescenton in 1936 and had only three hectares of vineyards. Today, though, they now have over 90. That stretch from the southern end of the valley all the way to the river. So they've, you know, definitely have grown over time. Um, I didn't find anything about this, but my guess is that they were a very small production, probably initially for private use and then just to sort of peddle at the like local village markets. Um, and now here we are drinking their wine um, half a world away. The family's philosophy is to, quote, work in harmony with nature in a sustainable manner. Considering these important factors, the grapes are given the highest chance to mature. So they're really about going back to those basics of focusing on quality over quantity. They're not a huge producer. Um, they believe in sustainable farming practices and are really invested in making wines that are highly characteristic of the region and what the region's capable of yielding. So we always respect that here on the podcast. And I also have uh, another little tidbit about their philosophy. Oh, do tell. Can I, can I read it? You can read it. Uh, I also found this, this little tidbit. Our philosophy is to work in harmony with nature in a sustainable and respectful manner. The diverse soil and microclimatic conditions on the hills surrounding the Gottfried Abbey in the southern Kremstel wine region 
require us to care for every vineyard individually and to fully understand each site in relation to soil, exposure, and grape variety. Our knowledge that has accumulated over several generations allows us to produce superior grape quality with distinct and exciting character. So this really goes back to what you were talking about, like the microclimates, mm-hmm. is they have to really be on top of every part of what they're managing versus just sort of like saying like, oh, this is how the varietal is managed overall. Right. They have to really be thinking about what's going on in their property. Absolutely. Well, and this reminds me too, like of a lot of um, like Pinot growers in California who, or not just Pinot growers, but Pinot, Chardonnay, Cabernet, where they may plant, you know, one bottle may feature a Pinot grape that's planted on one, like an easterly facing slope. And one is, on a westerly facing slope Mm -hmm. and those are completely different wines because of what the environment is giving to them and so i love kind of that attention to to detail here i mean and i also wonder you know back to our earlier discussion about climate change and how it impacts a grape like this like that's got to be a crazy process to be continually reevaluating what mm-hmm. you're planning where yeah. how you're you're making those wines that are planted you know from these different grapes just based on how the weather fluctuates over over that year all right well are you ready to get into this bottle yes <laughs> great fist pump chomp chomp so Jules is still on our March Madness episode. Apparently. <laughs> she I loves mean, basketball. It's still March. So anywho. Yeah, let's do it. Well, now that we know all about the region and the winemakers, let's get to the fun stuff. Not the fun facts, but the fun stuff. Which the fun, is the drinking. The drinking. The, the drinking. Yay. So... This bottle has a screw top, which I always enjoy from a perspective of um, traveling with it or like, <coughs> you know, going somewhere. Also, just like having it be easy. Sustainability, too, right? Yeah. I mean, you know. And it's a white wine. Like, yeah. whites and rosés to me, you could totally just have them all be screw tops. Honestly, I love a screw top. To yeah. me, that is a weekday wine. Like, I can have a glass, I can fuck fuck off. I don't have to, like, worry about the stupid wine opener. But we kind of digress. The point is that we opened the wine very easily because this is a screw top. (laughs) Poured it in our glasses. So let's talk about what we are seeing in the glass. So this is a really beautiful wine, and it really holds true to um, the notes earlier about what we could expect. So it does have kind of, it, it. you know, it is a yellow color but it has that tinge of green Mm -hmm. to it that very light green and if you look into the glass um you can see bubbles little tiny bubbles tiny bubbles i was gonna say i don't see bubbles but when you look into it from the top of the glass you see bubbles but you don't see them really from the side of the glass no but you do see them in the glass drea's cap trying to capture these bubbles on her phone well, for for the Instagrammers, you know, for posterity, for posterity. But Let's, it does. I mean, it looks like it's gonna be super fresh. It looks very bright and fresh and delightful. And this is coming from a non-white wine drinker. 
I should stop saying that about myself, but I... Yeah, just give in. They don't really excite me very much. Give in to the light side. this looks very good. Especially because today was a very nice, sunny, bright day. For once. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Okay, should we give it a a sniff? Sniff. Sniff it up. Ah, smells like springtime. It does smell like spring. I mean, I'm getting citrus, white pepper, thyme, pear. All the good things. All the springy things. Yep, all the spring. Some kind of light floral background notes, too. Maybe a little bit of, like, honeysuckle back there. jasmine. Mm-hmm. But it's a really approachable aroma. It's very lovely. All right, okay, should let's we drink it. put it in our mouths? As expected... It's fresh and bright and light and delightful. It is delightful. It is very good. It does have a little bit of that effervescence. That that so a that bit of sour like sourness in a good way. Yeah. So that's the um, like the acid punch that's going to mm-hmm. hit your palate. I the think pop when you, rocks. Yeah, when you first get it. So it seems like whoa. But what I love about this is it quickly mellows. So on the you know once you get past. That initial acid punch, I'm getting tangerine and key lime and pear um, and a little bit of like that minerality, like wet rock Mm -hmm. or green pepper almost. And it's very well balanced. Um, It it almost has a, a rich finish like tropical fruit finish like some pineapple or papaya almost on the back end for me wow no okay well but that's but we all know that your palate is much more developed than mine i'm just over here continuing to drink it she's she's, like she's guzzled most my of glass her glass is almost yeah. gone and she's still talking this, everybody this so. right here. who's on team jewels <laughs> who's on team Drea? it's real good <laughs> I like it. It's alcohol. <laughs> All right. So now that we've expressed our, our love and affection for this white wine that tastes and smells like springtime, uh, what are you what are you pairing this with? What are you eating? Recommendations for this wine have been Asian inspired, so like Thai food, which I love. But the fact that it's such a spring-like wine to me just transports me to this hike that we do up in the Los Alamos, so Santa Ynez Valley area, which is not far from Paso Robles. Mm -hmm. And it's called Grass Mountain. And at this time of year, it's covered in the California poppies. Oh, And especially this year, it's got to be amazing. I would love to be up there right now. But there's this little bakery in the town of Los Alamos called Bob's Bread. And they make the best chocolate croissants, a breakfast sandwich they make really good coffee drinks but they have these to-go little baguette sandwiches They're the ham one the it's so it's ham and cheese and butter but. and for me it's like i grew up eating sandwiches with butter like the whole mayo and mustard like that was not a thing i think it's a very european british thing so and you know i don't love the cheese so but it's easy to take the cheese off so it's usually like really good ham blasphemous but fun fresh a freshly baked like half of a baguette and then it's got the little piece of um like uh paper wrapped around it to hold it together and like you know very french it's just very french and it's really awesome and i love 
doing that hike and just like taking, you know, a little picnic. And so instead of maybe my water bottle, I would <laughs> so, so I wrapped up the food, the situation, and the entertainment sh- all in one. Shocking, shocking. Um, so Bob's Well is the first place I ate when I was done with my sugar detox in January. Oh, that's like <laughs> such a good way to break it. I detox. was like, she back. She I coming. would literally probably stand in front of the case and just be like, I'll take one of all the things. Please. I mean, so I got the ham sandwich while okay. I was there. But then I was like. So you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. So then I was like, I need this, this, and this. And um, the Silver Fox was like, what's that for? I was like, that's for tonight and tomorrow morning. <laughs> that's so, for, I don't know. Yeah. For what the fuck? That's it's for, for the fucking. As I'm I driving down this fucking highway. Yeah, exactly. They also make, I mean, it's a bread, you know, Bob's bread. But they make this pano lardon that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a bread with bacon lardons in it. Yeah. Like bacon. Who doesn't in want it. that? And when you toast that and put scrambled eggs on top, you're basically having like eggs and bacon with toast. It's maybe I, I think I need a minute. I need a avocado on there. Oh my god. <laughs> I've actually tried to replicate it when I bake my sourdough breads and I haven't quite gotten there, but eventually I will. I have faith in you. And you know, I'll be your tester anytime. I know you will. What are you pairing with this? Um, Give me all the things. So at the risk of Sounding like a basic bitch. <laughs> I okay. want to pair this with spring vegetables. Like that first harvest of spring vegetables. I love eating super seasonally. Um, and to me, I want to I wanna pair this wine with like a spring vegetable risotto. A frittata you know. maybe? <laughs> Didn't we do a frittata last time? I mean, we might have, but I feel like when you're talking about spring vegetables, I'm thinking like you could put asparagus in there. Yeah, like you know, a like risotto a, with like bright and asparagus, fresh. peas, all of the, or um, you know, she loves a salad. She loves a salad. And I think we talked about that in the last episode. Too. Yeah, dear listeners, um, I've had to transition to bowls during the winter, like a Buddha bowl style. I think I sent Jules a meme recently that I was like, and our oh, listeners the bowl this is episode the new- are Seth and Renee. Hi, Seth and Renee. <laughs> I was like, the bowl is the new salad. But now that warmer We're weather is spring. on We're the back horizon, to she back to her salad. She back, back on salads. her bullshit. That's right. And so there, I have a favorite salad. Um, it's from this place in Barcelona. Again, this should shock no one. Called Flax and Kale. And like, I dream of the salad. Very Spanish place. sounding place. <laughs> I dream of the salads at this place. It is like... Um, so if you're in the U.S., it's like a tender greens, but a million times better. And they do a salad with roasted heirloom carrots, grilled avocado. This just sounds terrible. Pepitas. I'm not interested. <laughs> yes, you are. Stop talking. <laughs> and I'm getting like, on a flight to Barcelona right now. I a lemon tahini dressing, and it is so fucking good. It is so good. I love the salad so much, and I would... I would want a glass of this with that salad. No, no, maybe, maybe, maybe some seared. Ovi. Maybe you're sitting out on Las Ramblas, eating your Absolutely salad, not drinking this Absolutely. wine. She does. She does not sound. Oh, I love it. No, I love the oh, people watching. Absolutely not. You you want to see I love Americans? From, I do. I do. From fucking it's a Iowa. Show. It's a shit show. In cargo pants and Skechers? <laughs> absolutely <laughs> fucking not. Nope. <laughs> It you know what? And if no one saw that coming from me, shame on all of you. <laughs> all right. So, um, 
situation. Okay, we talked about the salad situation. I think this is a great bottle. I mean, similar to to your point for a picnic. Mm-hmm. Like it's just so, like I screw tap. Yeah, I want to take this to Balboa Park. Yep. I don't know if that's legal. Don't really care. Oh yeah, it is. We've okay. done it. Well, I mean, that doesn't mean it's legal. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is a very fair. Point. Yeah, you're welcome. But I uh, think the pandemic has made a lot of things sort of like <laughs> they don't. People don't give a fuck anymore. Uh, like, I mean, try. try I and never did. Me. Try the recipe for having an what open bottle do? while I'm just sitting here quietly having a picnic with my husband and my dogs. Like, come on. <laughs> Don't you have fucking better things to do? Um, Did but, someone just get shot a block away? So, in addition to Balboa Park, though, I actually would love to... So, there's one... The first date I ever went on with the Silver Fox was we did a concert on the green at the Los Angeles Arboretum, where we're both originally from. And You're from the Arboretum? No, we're from Los Angeles. God damn it. <laughs> so, cut me some slack. It's been a week. Sorry. <laughs> structure your sentences in a more organized manner. <laughs> so, Miss uh, PhD. That's right. It wasn't in Berkeley. grammar, bitch. Um, so uh, we, the, one of the first dates we ever went on, or the first date we ever went on, was this concert of the Green, and it's the LA Philharmonic. And every summer they do a concert series, symphony series, at the LA Arboretum. And this was our first date. John had packed a picnic, and I think we drank rose that night, I want to say. And you just sit out under the stars and listen to the symphony, and it's such a great experience and it's like a warm balmy night in los angeles so that's that's the situation entertainment i want for this bottle. i think that sounds delightful i would i would get in on that yeah I, well obviously in the 2023 version you and i are going Obviously, yeah, it's it's a it's a lady date. <laughs> it's a two girls in a great sponsored event. Picnic. Yeah, one hundred percent. The food's gonna be fucking off the chain. We're gonna of have course. more than one goddamn bottle. People are gonna be coming by, being like, "Can we join your picnic?" No, no. Oh, okay. I would say yes, but well, she says no. I say no. Okay. So you get into this mess. I think it's a twenty dollar buy in. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Did you purchase your ticket online? <laughs> Did you get it on Eventbrite? Yeah. Here's my Venmo. <laughs> this is we just have like a little sign with like a qr code yeah, this is a podcast sponsored event now thank you very much <laughs> so join us at the arboretum this summer yes do. dear listeners uh so this bottle came from a a very popular site called last bottle and if you're not familiar with it i highly encourage get you to familiar it with it so this is where I bought this bottle of the Gruner Vet Liner. was on Last Bottle Wines, um, but check it out. But you can also buy it online. Were there when any specific we were, areas that when you we were, were finding? Re- yeah, when we were researching this bottle, it was popping up everywhere from places like Total Wine mm-hmm. to small independent wine shops to I even saw a listing on it for grocery outlets. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think it's just kind of luck of the draw with this one. Maybe but keep an eye out for it. Just yeah. have it in the back of your mind. That if you see it, you're like, Grab oh, it. we know that this is a, a good 
this will be a good one. Yep, this will be a good gruner. And also just try other gruners too. Yeah. And if you try one that you really like, that you think we would like, let us know. Um, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram. We're at two girls and a great pod. That's T W O girls and a great pod. Or email us at two girls and a great pod at gmail.com. And if you have enjoyed our antics and all the wonderful information we've provided you with on this so episode. Much so much information. So much useless um, information. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's the type of information people love, though. It's true. Um, leave us that five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and spread the word. Tell all your friends how delightful we are, just like springtime. So with that, until, until next time, time. salute. Cheers.